The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad so many of you could make it on a Saturday morning. Nice to see you. So uh, we have in mind a similar program to what we've been having. We'll, uh, I want to give a little introduction, and then we'll have a guided sit and a talk and a discussion and another round. So um, most of you met Judy perhaps last time, Judy Long. She's, uh, I know her as a chaplaincy graduate, and she's these days teaching the uh, Cultivating Compassion course. That's a wonderful Thing to take. Is there anything else you want to share about yourself? Do I need Can I have this? Oh, okay. Why don't you keep it on? Okay. So, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again. Um, especially nice to see you out on a cold, foggy morning, as it seems it is in here. Um, so about me, what can I say? I'm a longtime practitioner, longtime member here of IMC, and uh, not as long as some of you, I think. But uh, um, I've enjoyed participating in a lot of activities here, but particularly these Dharma practice days and extending out of this the Eightfold Path practice. So I'm happy that you're here participating in this. And um, the only other thing I would offer is that I, um, I'm a chaplain. So I do hospice and hospital chaplaincy. So, welcome. So I just want to, today's topic is right action. We're kind of in the middle of the program. We're coming on to the fourth factor. It's unbelievable. It seems like we just started, doesn't it? But here we are in the middle. And we're right in the middle of the middle, actually. The middle of the path is the ethical trainings, the way the path is laid out. And the middle of the middle is right action. We had right speech last time. We'll talk about right livelihood next month. So I just want to take a moment to review. Um, There are lots of different ways that the Buddha broke up and analyzed possible ways of looking at paths of practice. And the flow through the Eightfold Path is one of them. One of the very common ways that he taught was in terms of three trainings, the training in sila, or ethics, the training in samadhi, calming and training the mind, and then the resultant wisdom that comes from undertaking those two practices. So the path, as we've talked about, starts with enough wisdom to get on the path to begin with, right? You're here, so you have already a pretty good view and pretty good intention. So then we start out and then... Then we come into what's in this other traditional way of looking at it, really the first training, which is the training in ethical behavior to a certain degree, you know. So we need to begin recognizing the importance of our interactions with others, you know, for what we're looking for, which is peace and freedom. You know, there's a saying from somewhere in American history, if you want freedom, you know, work for justice. So there's that element that's balanced where we're really looking for how can we, you know, conduct ourselves ethically. And then that's a prerequisite to really getting started with calming and training the mind. So, of course, our ethics may not be perfect, but at a, at a high level, if we're literally killing and stealing and raping, it's very hard to settle the mind. So um, we assume that most people who are here are probably not actively engaged in those behaviors right now. And I also like to make the point that I got from Tan Jeff, who's a wonderful monk who teaches here, that we can appreciate that. You know, our minds go so quickly to the edges of where am I not perfect and where can I make myself even better. It's very important to appreciate that that we're here in a community where we are basically safe. You know, when we're here, we're pretty sure that those activities are not going to happen. And we can enjoy you know, the feeling of having that level of virtue and ethical understanding and being in a community of like-minded people. And then with that as a base, we can start to look at maybe there are some edges and some ways that we can, um, you know, 
move even further along the lines of sensitivity in this way. And so then that takes us into the training, which is the component that we'll be getting to for the last three sessions here, the internal mental training of body and mind to really calm and settle and see clearly. So that's the aspect of the training where we're increasing our sensitivity and increasing our awareness to what is causing harm to us and others. And then that cycles, that results in deep wisdom of understanding our connectedness with others and how interdependent our behavior is on what happens to us and how we feel about the world and relate to other people. So it's, it wraps back around to a deeper wisdom, which is a deeper sensitivity to interpersonal interactions and that leads to a deeper sense of calm and peace and happiness and freedom. So that's the flow through the Eightfold Path. And we are looking at, for many of us, it's our first pass through this path. For some of us, we've been practicing for years, and it may be our, you know, umpteenth trip through this path. In a way, every day and every second, you're traveling through this path, right? You have some belief, you have some intention, you say something, you do an action, you go to your job, you know, maybe you think, oh, gee, I needed to pay more attention to that, so you are a little more mindful. You know, so we, we're, we're on this path all the time. So uh, today we're going to be looking at right action. And the three parts of right action are um, not, not killing, not causing harm. Judy will talk about that. Not taking what is not given and not causing harm through our sexuality. So uh, three bodily actions, you know. You you worked last month with speech, and you saw how quickly our intentions and our minds turn right into speech, right? So then a little more energy, and they turn right into actions, right? Just a little more energy. You might push somebody out of the way. You might take that last cookie, you know. Little bodily actions that come up, or sexual energy, goodness, that just takes over the mind so quickly, right, if we're not aware and sensitive to what's going on. So these are ways in which our views and our intentions bubble out into the world and start affecting those around us. So with that introduction, um, I want to turn it over to Judy for a guided sit in our first talk and breakout session. So I'd like to invite you to um, get yourself even more settled and comfortable on your cushion or in your chair than perhaps you already are. If you're holding anything on your lap, then I would like to invite you to set it down and make a conscious choice about where you'd like to place your hands, where they feel comfortable. And then I'd like to invite you to gently close your eyes or to allow your gaze to drop if that's more comfortable for you. And as you're beginning to come into a more settled position, I would suggest that you might want to wiggle around a little bit on the cushion or the chair just to see that you feel kind of centered, maybe allowing your spine to sway a little bit forward and back or side to side, and even noticing where your head is placed uh, maybe allowing your head to bob a little from side to side or back or forth and imagining the spine, one vertebrae on top of the other in a straight, alert line, but not tense, just relaxed. And let's start with a few deep breaths. I'd like to ask you to take three to five deeper than normal breaths so that you feel your Torso expanding on the in-breath and on the out-breath, breathing out at least as long as you breathed in. So I'll do one aloud sort of with you and then ask you to continue at your own pace. So it's breathing in deeply and out. 
And again, breathing in and out. And a few more. Now allowing your breath to return to its normal pace, not trying to control it, just letting it be whatever speed it normally would be, in and out through your nose. And as we come more deeply into our bodies, noticing our feet on the ground or our bottoms on the floor, places where we make contact with the earth or with the floor, and notice the sense of support beneath your feet or beneath your chair bottom or cushion bottom. Really allowing your attention to notice that. Now gently relaxing the mind as best you can. Just imagining your mind to be a muscle that can relax. Bringing the same relaxation to your shoulders, your chest, your stomach, your belly, Letting the muscles relax, soften. Bringing our attention to the weight of our body being supported by the floor. And just relaxing and softening into that. Now ever so gently Noticing if there's any place in the body that feels just a little bit tight, just bringing the idea of softness to it, just in a gentle way. And we'll sit quietly for a few more moments and then I'll come in towards the end with just a thought for you to consider. As we're becoming a little more deeply settled in our bodies and our minds, I'd like to ask you if in a very gentle way you could just bring your awareness to the breathing if it's not already there, wherever it's easy for you to notice it within your body. And see if you can come close to it the way you would try to come close to a small wild animal in the woods or a bird, you'd like to get close enough to get a better view, but you don't want to scare it away. So see if you can kind of come up quietly on it, just with your awareness, and notice whatever you notice. And just be with the breath a little bit more with this quality of noticing. And then as this short sitting begins to draw to a close, I would ask you just to reflect on what it, what it would take in terms of the kind of energy you would need to gather or muster together to even begin to want to do anything like 
striking out at someone or saying a harsh word, just to consider how how much energy it would take and perhaps how different it is from this state of being so settled and gently present in your bodies and your minds. And when you're ready, if you'd like to take a few deep breaths and begin to open your eyes and perhaps look around you a little, see who else is in the room with you. So welcome again to all of you for being here for this practice in the Eightfold Path. I'm so glad that Chris talked about how this is the middle of the middle. It's quite wonderful. I'll share with you, this is kind of a, I think of it as a a silly story on myself. I, I know when I first came to this practice, I thought it was, um, I think one of the first things that I found online was the list of lists, all of the Dhamma lists. And I saw, oh, there are this many of the factors of the Eightfold Path and these many factors of enlightenment and these many factors of spiritual something else. And, and I would tell my husband about it who wasn't sitting and we both start laughing. And I thought, okay, Eightfold Path, that's a good place to start. And it happened that... Um, there were talks on the Eightfold Path or there were old Dharma practice days. So that's where I started. And I thought, this is so cool. I can do the first one. And then when I'm done that, I'm going to do the second one. And then when I'm done that, I'll go to the third one. And I'm, I'm going to get through all of these eight and it's going to be so great. I'll have them all. And then maybe I'll see about those other lists. But um, I just love what Chris said. They're all going on with us all the time. It's just the way it is. So I'd really like to invite you to um, remember or notice that, bring your mindfulness to that whenever you can. Oh, this is interesting. Right actions in the foreground this month in our communal practice together. But all these other ones are also going on. How could we do anything without some intention, good, bad, or otherwise, or without some view? And they all happen. It's like making snickerdoodles, you know, at Christmas time. You throw in some sugar and you throw in some flour, but then you mix them all together. And that's kind of how the Eightfold Path works. They're all together in us all the time. So I have the great good fortune of talking with you about non-killing. And it's one of my... um, you can have such a thing. I always say this no matter which one I'm talking about, but at the moment, this is really one of my very favorite ones, pieces of the right action, because I translate it not just to non-physically killing another living being, whether it be a human or a bug uh, or a fish or whatever, but I think of it as non-harming. And that seems to underlie just about everything that I can think of. Um, But I think often of non-harming and mindfulness as being the two things that, for me, I can really notice all the time in everything. Uh, The mindfulness helps me notice. Um, The non-harming seems to be what underlies everything. So I think of it as our ethical base for everything in our lives, And um, it reminds me a little bit of, this may seem unrelated, but I think it is, it reminds me a little of metta, the practice of wishing well or goodwill to others. We can say phrases for metta phrases, may you be happy, and I think those can be very, very helpful to say. Or we can imagine emanating circles of well-being going out. But I think it's the, the heartfelt real deep wish from our hearts. It's the quality of the heart, right? For well-being for others. And right along with that is non-harming. It's a really deep from within. It's that wish for non-harming to others. And when I say others, 
Um, I don't mean to exclude that, that one of the others is ourselves. So non-harming to ourselves, not being harsh to ourselves. It's a big part of it too. And when we speak of compassion, and we'll talk a little more of that later, just a bit, um, that too, that's wishing well when we see suffering. So a little bit of it is how can we be with that in a way that is wishing well, and perhaps seeing what will serve, perhaps engaging in some action, or not. The right action might be just being quiet. So that's a lot of stuff. So back to non-harming. I like to think about it, but more than that, I like to notice it. So I'll come back to that word mindfulness and just suggest that as you're working with this factor and doing the reflections, that will come to you on Monday mornings. So you'll take a look and say, hmm, get to work with this one this time. Um, I think one of them intentionally brings up the quality of noticing and mindfulness. But I would suggest to you that mindfulness is something you can always bring to any practice that you wish to do. Um, There's a story I want to tell you, but I think I'm going to let that wait a couple more minutes into what few comments I wanted to make. Um, But I wanted to talk first about the quality of safety. Um, I find that to be a really beautiful quality that arises when we practice uh, non-harming. And it's safety for others because we're If you wanted to get really literal about it, we're not killing or we're not taking what's not given, which I know Chris will talk a lot more about, or we're not uh, disrespecting someone with our sexuality or just our relationships. But when when we avoid or restrain ourselves from these things, and we may basically, I suspect we're all basically pretty ethical, good people, But there are subtle ways that things can arise when we simply notice and restrain ourselves. It creates a field of safety. Isn't that interesting? It's so nice. We can be safe and the people with us can feel safe. They'll know they're safe with us because we're going to be mindful and be non-harming in the way we are. So we create a field of safety and when someone interacts with us, they feel safe So they tend to also behave in a way that's non-harming because it really feels good inside. So it's not so much about rules. It's not about laws. It's about this beautiful quality of how it feels inside when we are non-harming in our intention, our view, our deep wish for how we are in relationship. So part of what I'd like to do too is lift up this idea of being in relationship. I am um, inspired and moved by the fact that we are here together in relationship. Sangha is being in relationship. We are so, my view, right, My, my sixth view, I feel so lucky that we can be in relationship, that we have a community practicing together. And we can practice these things with each other. And we can help each other to see what it's like to be non-harming in our deepest view. So relationship, I think, is a lot about what it's about. And... um, I'll give you another word to hold. It's not usually one that arises in this context. But I went to a retreat once. And at the end of the retreat, I said this was a monastic retreat. I wasn't being a monastic, but it was given by the monastics at a Bayagiri monastery. And some of you may know the name Ajahn Pasano. He was the person leading the retreat. So at the end of the retreat, I just thanked him. I said, I feel so safe here. And it just... I thought I felt safe before I got here. But when I'm here, I feel so safe. This field of safety was so palpable. And he said, oh, 
that's the name of our monastery. So, okay, so I'm so smart. I said, no, it's not. So I thought, I can't believe I'm saying to him, no, it's not. But I remembered, Abaya Giri means fearless mountain. I said, the name of the monastery, I thought it was fearless. He said, well, that's safety, isn't it? When it's safety, we can be fearless, and our whole practice can unfold. So I offer that to you, because to me that was so, such a beautiful teaching, and I'm so grateful for it. And there are other words that I often hear that I just love, and I remember I thought these were silly, but more and more I come back to them. And it's, have you heard the words, the bliss of blamelessness? Have you ever heard that? It's in one of the discourses of the Buddha. And it's as we practice this non-harming, and as this becomes more deeply a part of us, then we, we don't feel the same kind of remorse we might if we had been doing something that we felt bad about. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that to someone I loved. It made them feel a little bad. These are things that kind of stay in our hearts and minds. They may worry us or make us feel um, angry or make us feel sad. But if we, if we haven't done that, then, then we feel this ease. It's a feeling of ease. And that allows, again, this whole field of safety to unfold. Um, so... The bliss of blamelessness is said to be something that allows us to be non-harming. You know, we're non-harming, and then that allows us to be more non-harming. And I've also heard it said that it allows us to meditate with more ease. Um, you know, when our minds are going a mile a minute, and we've talked about how is it to get quiet and settled in our bodies and our minds, the more at ease our minds can be because not because we're doing rules, but because we live in this field of non-harming, the more our minds can get quiet with, with um, just a little more ease. Yeah. There will always be things for all of us that make us, uh, um, at least for me, that make us, uh, what, get a little more tight, a little more worried about something. But to what degree we can, we can begin to bring ease to our lives by this whole sense of non-harming. So how do we do that? Good question. Um, I'd like to um, share a small part of a story that's in one of the um, discourses of the Buddha. And I I brought this book with me, but I'm not going to read to you from it, but I'll let you know that this particular discourse is one of the ones where the Buddha was talking to his son Rahula. And um, there are three discourses, or three, three of these Uh, short passages that are about the Buddha talking to his son Rahula. But the first one was when Rahula was a very little boy. He was said to have been seven years old. And um, the story's longer. I won't go into the whole first part of the story, but basically the Buddha was teaching his son about um, how do we practice this? How do we do this stuff about being harmless? Ethics, if you will. So he said, Rahula, I can, I just, I love this. I think of a seven-year-old child. If any of you can imagine a seven-year-old child, it makes me laugh, but who knows? I mean, these kids can memorize the words to Frozen from the movies they see. I guess they can learn to do these things too. If, if, if it's what's in our hearts, maybe it's something they, can you imagine learning some of these things when you're seven? But he said, so here's what you do. And, and he did talk about some of our other factors. He talked about when we speak, when we think, and when we're going to do an action. But he, he took them each apart. He did each one of them in the same way. So when we're about to do something, he said, Rahula, here's what you do. Just before you're going to do something, just wait a minute. Just pause for a second. And think for just a second. Is this beneficial? to the other person I'm with or the other people I'm with? Is it? Is it beneficial to myself? And is it beneficial to us both? If it is, great. Go ahead and do it. And if it's not, then you can choose not to. You've got a choice. You can choose not to. It's quite something. He said, but sometimes we start doing something and we forgot to pause. He says, yeah, that happens. Is it possible? He said, so if you're in the middle of doing something, 
you can still kind of, you could notice, you could say, oh my gosh, this is not, not so great for the person I'm with, or this is not so great for me, I'm starting to feel pretty awful, or it's not so great for both of us. You can stop right then and there. You can just say, don't have to keep doing this. Actually have a choice. And the third one he said, maybe you've already done something. I mean, not that anybody would, but maybe you've already done something. And you look back and you say, wow, do I wish I hadn't done that. You know, it's okay. Notice it. And you can stop and think, oh, I think probably I wouldn't want to do that again. So I'm going to actually notice and bring to my own mind and heart, oh, wish I hadn't done that. If, if there's an apology required, that's okay. You can go to your best friend or go to your partner or go to your child or parent. And it's okay to apologize. And then you can say, I'll try next time to notice if that sort of thing starts to come up. I can learn from that. So I think that's not complicated. So I love that. There's so much in our Buddhist practice. I know all of us say this so often. It's easy. Or rather, no, I'm getting it backwards. It's simple, but it's not easy. That, that's how it goes. So, so in many ways, this is simple stuff, but it really takes that other thing that I was talking about, mindfulness, the noticing, that's probably one of the most powerful, powerful tools that we keep in our pocket, you know, when we can. It's noticing. Then we can choose. So, um, I think on that note, I'd like to ask you to um, move into some groups so you can share some of your thoughts about this with one another. So, um, my suggestion, I'll tell you how this will work after you're in groups. So if you would, please, I'm going to ask you to self-organize in groups of four. So if you, you're welcome to move chairs or cushions. And if you're sitting with the exact same people as last month, you might choose to meet someone you haven't talked with yet, but no worries either way. So once you're together with your four people, I will give you some more instructions. So, here are the instructions. So this is, um, I'd like to ask you to take turns sharing something. So uh, I'll tell you what the question is in a moment, but um, we'll take turns, and it will be helpful to know who's going to go first. Um, So anyone that would like to can just raise your hand right now, and you'll go first. Someone in each group. So please, someone, someone agree. We need one person to go first. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So also, um, could I ask another person, well, it could be the same person, but one person in each group now raise your hand. You'll be the one who will not remember everything, but maybe remember two or three main points that you can share back with a larger group afterward. So is there, um, can I have a volunteer in each group, each one, one in each group? Need one person in each group. One more. Woohoo! Any? Okay, thank you. Does every group have one? Great. So person number one, oh, I'll ring a bell after three minutes. So each person will share for three minutes. If you're, if you're done before three minutes, it's fine if you get quiet and you can all breathe together. And then the same person whose turn it is to speak, if you've stopped speaking and you think, oh, I forgot, I wanted to say that too, you can start speaking again until the bell rings, and then we'll go to person number two. We'll go around the circles clockwise. In the case of the group with five, you may want to shorten a little bit when you feel like it's two minutes. If someone could look at a clock, you can go around. And the question is simply, how... How do I, how have I noticed, or how would I like to notice using mindfulness, particularly if you like mindfulness of the body, to help me notice non-harming? 
non-harming. So I'll remind you, and I'll repeat it in a moment, but I want to remind you that, uh, if you haven't heard this, and you probably have, that it's often been said that mindfulness of the body, that everything that we need to be free is included in this fathom-long body of ours, whatever a fathom is. I, I suspect mine's not quite a fathom. But, uh, but nonetheless, this mindfulness of the body is such a wonderful practice and such a great way to bring our noticing back. So um, I offer that to you, but it doesn't need to be that. Perhaps it's a favorite thought or perhaps it's noticing something in the room. But share, if you will, with your partners what do I find is helpful to remember, to notice, to be mindful of? How does mindfulness help me to be with non-harming? And you're welcome to talk about your lives during the holidays. You're welcome to talk about your everyday life now. Or you're welcome to talk with, about some aspiration you might have. Or even something you saw that you thought was quite moving. So, with that, the first person may begin. So, has everyone had a turn? Yeah? In the group of five, are you good? Okay. So, before we we go back into the larger group... Um, I'm going to take a few more minutes, about four or five minutes, so that you can just talk amongst yourselves and kind of debrief what you've just uh, discussed. So thank you, and if you would thank your partners, and perhaps go back to your, um, bring your cushions and chairs back to where they were before. And then we'll talk a little in a larger group before we have a break. So thank you. Am I on? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. So I really kind of hated to break this up. But this comes back to that word community or sangha. You know, we get to practice this stuff in community. It's so amazing. Um, I would love to hear from whoever kindly raised their hands to say they would, they would tell us just a few main bullets of what happened in the, your smaller group so that the rest of us can share yeah, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. And speak into it so you hear. Okay. Um, we decided that um, equanimity was a huge issue because when we have the, either whether we have the, the thought or the feeling first, you know, you get that crunchy feeling, upset feeling, mm. chicken yeah. and egg. Does the feeling come first or does the thought come first? Which mm. comes first? But regardless... It's um, our judgments around that feeling or our judgments around the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mindfulness of how you're feeling allows you to pull back and either redirect your energies or make better choices or make no choices. Simply don't act on mm-hmm. what you're feeling. So equanimity around, around how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Great. So our um, conversation revolved around our bodies, feeling when thoughts arise, especially if there's tension or thoughts are racing, going crazy, that it's an indicator that uh, some harming is going on either for self or others. If something feels bad, then it needs looking at. And another 
what topic that was brought up was the difference, two phases here, in noticing and recognizing what might be harmful or not, and then having a deep noticing or uh, discernment around that. And I'm not quite sure what we wanted to continue with that thought because it's interesting Mm -hmm. noticing the difference between noticing, recognizing, and discernment. Um, And then also the difference in action and simply reaction and taking the moment, stopping, as you mentioned, Judy, taking a moment to stop and think, is this wise speech, is this wise action? And uh, especially around emails and with your children. <laughs> I'm trying to learn to stop the send button. <laughs> Thank you. Um, our group talked a lot about pausing and getting space and kind of getting that distance um, and kind of some of the things that go into that or, you know, kind of hinder or facilitate that ability. Um, And kind of this idea of like how much whatever we're in, whatever moment we're in is attached to our identity or our thought of our identity Mm -hmm. can really hinder the ability to get some space um, and be able to, you know, reflect a little bit before taking whatever action. Um, And we kind of, we also talked about, um, just the importance of whatever that energy is, like there needing to be some way to like get that energy out, um, potentially like in other more helpful ways. So like, I don't know, practicing metta or, um, calling a friend, um, having enough time and space in our lives in general to like have time to get more calm and so that we can just more generally approach situations from a place of like having more space, um, reflecting, um, just dropping in the question, is this beneficial? Is this kind? Thinking about how will I feel two minutes from now if I do this thing? Um, thinking about what would the Buddha do or what would like one of our favorite Dharma teachers do or some of the other things. Uh, one way we know that we might say or do something harmful is if our body feels tense or anxious and that's a time to pause. Another idea is when I clarify my intention, things go better. Another example was um, in a situation at work, really needing to work really hard physically, but harming the body and hurting things, and feeling hurt after and still doing it, because it needs to be done. And so kind of getting caught in a cycle there. And... um, the statement was made, I drive myself nuts, and I drive my kids nuts. And we could all kind of relate to that. Um, But she also says for herself, you know, our meta practice, may I be happy, may I be well, may I be at ease, and then she runs around. And I could relate to that. Another one is um, of non-harming when there are ants in the house, follow the ant trail all the way outside to the hole and put a flat leaf there and put a little honey in it. And the next day, all the ants are gone. The ants are happy and the humans are happy. (laughs) And the part that I found that interesting is the person said, I worked my way out of my old social conditioning. And another one is... um, I have thoughts about what other people are doing, and I think I should. Know, I know what they should be doing, and we all kind of related to that. So, part of what we want to remember is: I don't know what someone else should do. I want to hold my opinions lightly, and they aren't children anymore. So 
our group discussion very rich, and we started with the environmental, and that um, we're talking about um, the environmental, the plastic, and how that heavily influenced everybody's life, and how it's going to influence the future generations continuously, and that really harms um, not only our own life, but going on in generation to generation. So that's something we can start with ourselves, then try to educate the future generations, and hopefully that Earth's going to be a better place for the future. Um, we did talk about the pause also, and the individual thinking that the pause really helped her with the, all the different situations if she can just pause at, um, when the event occurs. And uh, another interesting thing is that the, um, no harm and that there's actually can be um, monitored by the three elements. So it's not only our bodily uh, feeling, but also the meta. You know, if something that go against the meta, you know it's going to be harm to somebody or some something. And the, the third one is that um, we think about the consequences. If you do think that you know it's going to have some bad consequences, then you, you, know, you don't want to do it. It's kind of like karma thing. Um, for me, is my main concern is that my house is in the woods, and I don't know how to deal with all the bugs there. And I tried very hard to migrate them outside the house, but sometimes, you know, it's accidentally I would kill. And um, so uh, our group opinion is it based on your intention. What is your intention? And don't try to beat yourself up for the consequences because um, what happened has happened. As long as intention is good and you try your best, and that's it. Thank you. Well, our group uh, really focused on what it takes to be mindful or aware and notice. And normally it was the physical body itself. Some people had uh, feelings of pressure in the chest, a clenching, a closing of feeling mm -hmm. that they could be aware of. Other ones had tension or heat in a situation. Or just sitting there and just kind of being aware that you didn't want to be in that situation at all. Mm. And these are the kind of the awarenesses or warning signs that, that you know, or um, indications that you should be very mindful and start to notice. Because each of these... You know, body senses here, the, the people who gave the stories mentioned that uh, this was the just before their action and they, they were aware of it and they even went through the actions with these feelings. And another person mentioned that one of their feelings is that they had to deal with it. They felt that the tension and the heat, they would rather flee from the situation to avoid it. Instead, they had to stay in the situation and adjust, and actually said that that's how they established the safety zone, was by going through that, actually facing it. And we also talked a little bit about certain things of, like, what should we do at that time? And we also kind of said that one of the points was to change the should to a could. What could I do with this situation? And I believe that that means that we have a choice at that time. We have should, it's like someone telling us that we should do this, you know, something outside of us. With a could do this, it's an I could do this, we can make a choice. Is there any group that hasn't yet? Ah. Thank you. Um, a lot of uh, what we talked about has been said. Uh, one of our members kind of summed it up in uh, that we talked about attention 
intention and conditions. And so it kind of starts with attention, right? If we don't have our attention either before, during, or after, um, we can't um, really notice our intention behind things. Um, and we also talked about the inner critic as well, you know, even on what we call the small things, right? Like letting somebody in the lane, you know, next to us or um, insects in the house and things like that and how we can tend to beat ourselves up and that that aspect of self-harm. Uh, the other interesting thing that I think we talked a lot about was the conditions aspect and how if we're sick or if we're tired or if we're hungry or even if we use, and I know it's a, a different precept, but you know, intoxicants of any sort, even when it's caffeine or sugar we were talking about, that it it's one of those things that makes us lose our connection to the present moment and thus makes us more able to break the other precepts, such as harming. Um, so it was a very interesting discussion. Okay, so I know it's getting very close to break time, actually a minute or two later than we had planned the break. I just wanted to uh, just put a little closure on this. Um, and my way of putting closure on it is to say how glad I am that there can't really be any closure on this. So um, thank you for your conversations. Thank you for sharing them. And, and um, words that come to mind, a lot of words come to mind from all of your comments, but I'm hearing... Um, a quality of spaciousness with the capacity to draw on our mindfulness when we're in the midst of things, before, after, or during. And um, self-mentoring, I would call it, or self-compassion, if you will, you know, coming back to what's happening and looking at it with some kindness. So that's a big one. And then really sincerely engaging in this practice in relationship. So I'm, I... I don't know how else to say this except that I'm grateful that you're struggling with this because that means that you're really engaging with it and you're really looking at it and trying to figure out how does this work in my life and with how I am in this world. I think we all do that. And, and the last part came up in a very brief conversation I had this morning with Chris and Carol when she came in the door and it had to do with how this practice is so rich. And I think a few of you have said that. It's like when I'm reading a, a book that I really love and I don't want it to end, right? But this, this is so great because this is like that book that you know, doesn't have to end because it's so rich. There's more that can always be practiced and you go into it in different ways, different days, right? Different times in our lives. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful break. We'll ring the bell in what, 10 oh, or 15 minutes? 10 minutes? Yeah. We are running a little behind. Okay. So thank you. Very wise group. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs>